0: Hawkeye Nation podcast. HawkeyeNation.com. Andrew Downs here with you on a Monday afternoon. Still licking the wounds a little bit from the loss in the Sci-Hawk game, and and not so much the loss, but everything surrounding it that uh, we talked about in my Instant Reaction podcast that you're getting coverage on at HawkeyeNation.com and wherever you get your Hawkeye coverage. Uh, Just a lot of, of talk, a lot of chatter. Not a whole lot of news, but a lot going on in uh, in Hawkeye Nation right now. I'm going to keep this uh, relatively short. I don't have some brilliant analysis. I didn't have some strike of genius, stroke of genius in the last 48 hours that tells me why uh, these problems are happening with Iowa, that 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 it's fixable or anything like that. I'm just going to talk a little bit here. I, I hope to give you some reasons, uh, not just why things are bad and maybe as bad as they've ever been under Kirk Ferentz, at least offensively, but also some reasons why the sky may not be completely falling. It's going to be a little bit of both, right? There's, there's, a, there's a lot to kind of dive into here. And again, until we hear from Kirk Ferentz tomorrow afternoon, it's just really hard to, uh, to make any real definitive statements, but it's certainly something that we can talk about. Here's, here is my brilliant analysis. The offense is awful. The defense is elite. Special teams up and down a little bit, right? Needs some work. It's hard to put that that last-second kick on Aaron Blom. put in a really bad situation there. Um, a long kick in bad weather, driving rain, windy, in a really pressure situation when he just hasn't had many opportunities to kick anything this year, be it field goals or extra points. But I think as Hawkeye fans, we've kind of been – very lucky uh, over the last, honestly, most of the last two decades, but certainly over these last handful of years, and had, having really, really solid kickers, Keith Duncan, Caleb Schudak, other guys, um, and so you kind of expect Iowa to, to, to make those kicks. And now Blom is one of one and two on the season. One of three field goals has has gone in. Iowa, of course, has only scored fourteen points. That's not right. Is that right? That is right. Holy cow. Man, I... Whew. Okay, moving on. I don't have a whole lot of analysis. Um, other than that, the offense is terrible. I will say, uh, you know, with with 48 hours removed from the, the end of the Iowa State Iowa the Iowa the State win in the CyHawk game, a couple of just quick things to say about that. It's good for the rivalry that, that the Cyclones won. It is. It's good for the rivalry. It's not good. I, I don't wish... I'm not happy they won. I'm not, you know, nothing like that. But it's better for the rivalry when both teams have some victories. I hope we don't see that against Minnesota and Nebraska this year, although at this point it really feels like anything is you uh, putting anything, counting your chickens before they hatch in any way, shape, or form the rest of the season feels like a foolish thing to do, other than we probably aren't going to beat Ohio State on the road in Columbus. Outside of that, Like I said during the the post-game instant reaction podcast, it all kind of feels like a coin flip, and and all of this feels like it's on Iowa. If their offense can find a way to get to some level of average, to some level of respectability, to move the ball a little bit, at the very least move the ball, uh, and let the defense rest a little bit, if not score points, uh, the defense and special teams should be good enough to keep us in most games. And then it's just a matter of, of what you can do uh, from there on out. If you get the breaks, if the big plays happen in, in your favor, all of that. So uh, it is good for the rivalry that Iowa State won that game, although it's still a difficult pill for us to swallow. I, I do feel a little bad for Cyclone fans, right? They don't even really get to relish in that win, and which is you know the first win in a generation essentially. I mean, since twenty fourteen. And while I'm sure they feel good about the win, and, and you know, if you saw any of the post game, they, they absolutely do, the conversation around that game, outside of probably very pro-cyclone media, has not been about Iowa State. It's not been about Hunter Deckers. It's been a little bit about that 99-yard drive they had, but even that's been been tampered down a little bit. It's been a little bit about Xavier Hutchinson and the kind of season he is off to already, uh, which is fantastic. But it's th- that game wasn't about how good or bad Iowa State is. I don't think Iowa State is a much better team than we thought they were. You know They are who we thought they were. We let them off the hook. Uh, I don't think they're going to go on to win 10 games this season and compete for a Big 12 championship or anything like that. I don't think we learned a lot about Iowa State in that game other than they have some toughness uh, and that'll probably bode well for them moving forward to have won a game in a tough situation in a tough environment. But they don't even really get to relish the win because all of the conversation is about how inept Iowa's offense is and how bad Iowa's offense was, and you know had had one or two things gone differently had they been able to complete one or two plays um and really in any other year with any sort of decency on the offensive side of the ball, Iowa wins that game. I mean Iowa had a chance to tie that game in a game they had no business being in. Iowa had no business with the output that they put out there offensively yesterday, not yesterday, Saturday, um, had no business with a chance to tie that game, and yet they almost did. And I had no reason to think they wouldn't have found a way to win it in overtime, right? And so... Um It's not about Iowa State. And I I feel a little bad for their fans as far as that goes. And then also with Scott Frost being fired at Nebraska on Sunday, uh, a lot of the conversation went right away to Matt Campbell as the next head coach at Nebraska. Whether or not that happens, long way to be seen. You know, long way from now, a lot to be seen. I'd be surprised if that happens, but. The conversation on the Monday after their biggest win in a long time for Iowa State is uh, how bad their opponent was and how their coach may leave for uh, one of their other rivals. So, uh, I feel a little bad for them. Not not real bad. They got the win. They they probably feel pretty good. And they're not listening to this anyway. Uh, but anyway, uh, we did get some news today, if you can call it that. I'll put news in air quotes because Iowa did release a depth chart. And no, it does not have Alex Padilla as the starting quarterback Is that disappointing? Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely is. Now, I don't know that that's a decision or an announcement that they want to make in a press release like that, in a depth chart release. Uh, I have a feeling if they're going to make that announcement, it's going to come from Kirk Ferentz at the podium tomorrow afternoon. I'm not confident that we're going to get that announcement tomorrow at the podium from Kirk Ferentz. The depth chart doesn't mean a lot. Kirk Ferentz has made that clear. The Iowa media has made that clear over the last, these couple of weeks, but for a long time now, but certainly of this year. I know Chad Lysico from the Des Moines Register had a a question about the depth chart in week one. And Kirk was like, oh yeah, that's on the depth chart. And Chad was like, no, it's, it's not. Kirk said, well, go ahead and put it on there. So the depth chart doesn't mean a whole lot. Iowa doesn't take it real seriously. It's like the coaches poll, right? They're just putting something out to put something out. But, man were people hoping to see a change there. At least an or. You know? At least on the QB line, it's Spencer Petras or Alex Padilla. Because Kirk Ferentz did leave it open uh, much more so than he did after week one in the post-game that they're going to look at this. He didn't name Spencer Petras the starting quarterback against Nevada after the Iowa State game. He did do that for the Iowa State game after the South Dakota State game. And so that leaves the door open a little bit and um, I wouldn't be shocked if tomorrow afternoon at the regular media availability, Kirk Ferentz announces, uh, if not full on, that Alex Padilla will start the game on Nevada. That uh, maybe they haven't made a decision yet. That's not going to make anybody feel any better. It's not going to make fans feel better. Uh, putting out a depth chart with Spencer Petras atop the quarterback list does not make anybody feel better. I'm not going to just. I'm just not going to put a whole lot of. Uh, thought or care into that until I hear something from Kirk Ferentz uh, definitive one way or the other. Now, I'm afraid I'm going to hear something definitive tomorrow and it's not going to be what we all want to hear. I'm afraid we're going to hear that Spencer Petrus is still the starter. And if that's the case, I just don't know how you justify it. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. I had some fun with stats last week on the Hawkeye Nation radio show on Thursday. I'm going to have some not fun with stats a little later on in this podcast. But... um, at this point it's it's just unjustifiable it's not fair to anybody it's certainly not fair to spencer petrus to put him out there and I, you know i don't mean that as like he's being harmed in some way or he's got some awful thing happening to him he's a division 1 athlete starting quarterback you know he gets the scholarship and the nio money and all of that stuff so I, uh, you know how sorry you feel for spencer petrus has a limit but It's not fair to put him out there to get booed over and over and over again. It's not fair to put him out there when everybody knows they can't move the ball. Nobody thinks that he's going to to, I mean, even have the time to unleash a long pass, but let alone have the composure to do it. It's not fair to put him out there with a defense that knows he can't throw further than 10 yards down the line of scrimmage and therefore plays him that way. Um, and it's, again, not fair to have 70,000 Hawkeye fans rain booze down upon him when he's not making the decision to to run himself out there. He's not the one who has faltered in recruiting and conditioning on the offensive line and in the receiver room. He's not the one who's causing injuries to these other guys that's making it more difficult. He's not the one calling the plays. He's not the one preparing the team. It is not fair to Spencer Petrus for him to get those boos. And you can say you're booing the, the, the coach. You can say you're booing the scheme. You can say you're booing the idea or the offense or whatever it is. Whatever it is. But make no doubt about it. He's the guy who hears those. Those boos are for him. And they are. So... That's not fair to him. We'll keep talking about that. Also on the depth chart, again, take it with a grain of salt. Keegan Johnson and Nico Regani are not there. Kirk Ferentz mentioned after the game that he was hopeful. There's a chance that they'll be back again. We'll learn more about this tomorrow. I have a feeling he'll say, "Eh, you know, if everything goes well, Keegan, he's got a chance. Nico, maybe he's got a chance. Uh, Probably looking more at the, uh, the Rutgers game for both those guys. So, that, I mean, that that's a big part of all this, right? You have Keegan Johnson out. That's a huge part of this. Nika Regani out. That's a huge part of this. Putting Arlen Bruce in a position where he is not suited to be. He shouldn't be the number 1 receiver. He shouldn't be that X guy. He should be a slot receiver. He should be the second or third option out there. And that's where he can make his hay. That's where he can get lost and make a play. He should be the guy that... Your surprise gets the ball in an end-around. Not the only guy who has the athletic capability of of doing an end-around. You know what I mean? Like It's so easy to key on him. He only had one reception on Saturday. Only two receptions for the entire wide receiving core. Alec Wick had the other. I think ten of the receptions went to tight ends. Eight to Sam Laporta and two to Luke Lachey. So hopefully those guys will be back or at least are, are getting closer to being back. It'd be really nice to have them in the Rutgers game, um, if not against Nevada, and the Nevada thing it just it worries me a little bit, not that I was going to lose but that it's not going to look any better, and it has to look better. would also like to see Gavin Williams out there a little bit more. It was nice to see him get a couple of carries in the Seahawks game, but hopefully he's uh, improving, getting back, not because I think LaShawn Williams is incapable or is doing anything wrong or can't handle this or anything like that, but because more depth there is better, you know, more different looks there is better. And then, you know, as I said, the the big thing, you, you need to move to Padilla right now, right now. He needs to have known yesterday that he is the starting quarterback because now you get two weeks to lead up to that Rutgers game. You're on the road in the Big Ten opener. You hope that this Nevada team that just gave up 55 points and 600-some yards of offense to Incarnate Word is such a layover, such a laydown team that no matter who plays there, you're going to have success. Maybe not a lot of success, and that's what worries me. Because I think we see the stat line that Incarnate Word put up against them over the weekend, and we say, well, if they do that, what should Iowa do? If they put 600 yards, Iowa should do 800 yards. Does anybody think I was capable of putting up 600 yards against anybody right now? If anybody, I Iowa is capable of putting up 55 points against anybody right now offensively? No, I don't. Not at all. I don't care how bad Nevada is. I'm worried about this game. Not, again, that we're going to lose, but that the offense isn't going to look much better. And if that's the case, you need Alex Padilla to be the guy because then he has a another game of film, another week of practice to get ready for that Rutgers game. If Spencer Petras goes out there and they look poor against Nevada, this whole thing comes crumbling down and you've just lost the most important week of Alex Padilla's season. You need to give him the ball right now. You need to have him practicing with the ones. You need to have him as the main guy in those rooms, and those meetings. You need to have him walking around like the big man on campus, like the starting effing quarterback. You need to have him take a leadership role on that team. You need to hand the keys to Alex Padilla and then hope that he looks good against Nevada and then hold on for dear life when you get to Big Ten play. Because Spencer Petras ain't doing it. And even if Petras plays well against Nevada, it doesn't feel like this is salvageable with him. This is a mental thing. He knows what's going wrong. His coaches know what's going wrong. They can't fix it. He can't fix it. It needs to happen, and it needs to happen now. I do not want to see Spencer Petras against Nevada. And I don't care if he throws for 800 yards and they score 70 points because it's not going to make anybody feel better about what's to come next. And oh, by the way, after that Rutgers game, things get real, real quick. And oh, by the way, this season isn't over, okay? It may feel like this season is over in some ways because this offense is so bad. How do you compete with anybody? But this season is not over. The Big Ten West sucks. And I was a part of that, but the Big Ten West is ugly. I was still has a chance to win games. Do I want to go back to the Big Ten Championship and get run out of Indianapolis again, eh, it doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. But there is there's potential to win the Big Ten West. Minnesota's the only team without a loss, and we're two weeks into the season. Nebraska just fired their coach. Wisconsin lost, Northwestern lost, Illinois lost to Indiana. The Big Ten East hasn't lost yet, by the way. Big Ten East hasn't lost, the Big Ten West is 9-7. And the only undefeated team in the Big Ten West is Minnesota. And they've played well, but they've played two bad teams. This season is not over. Look at what Nebraska just did. Why did Nebraska do what they did? It's because Scott Frost sucked, yes. It's because Scott Frost had a mentally weak team that kept falling apart at the end of games and losing close games, and there was, they were going nowhere and nothing good was happening. Yes, all of those things are true. Why did it happen yesterday? Why did they pay an extra $7.5 million to get him out the door yesterday when they could have waited three weeks and done it for cheaper? It's because the season isn't over. It's because they can still salvage something. Now, I don't think Nebraska is going to salvage something to go to a bowl game or you compete for a Big Ten West. I don't think Iowa will probably you know do some of those things either. But what Nebraska did was say, A change has to happen, and it has to happen now. We got Oklahoma coming in next week. We can't have the conversation be how bad this is and when are we going to fire Scott Frost. We know we need to do it. We need to do it now. It's time for Iowa to make that change. You know you need to do it. There's no better time like the present. It should have happened today. I will give Kirk Ferentz the benefit of the doubt that he didn't want to make an announcement like that, effectively ending Spencer Petras' Hawkeye career on a piece of paper that goes out to the media and then is tweeted out like a news release, right? I hope that's what Kirk Ferentz was thinking. I hope he thought, I need to make this announcement. I hope he makes that announcement tomorrow. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. They play a bunch of bad Big Ten West teams. They play a Rutgers team that's not very good. They played Nevada this week, and Nevada is awful. I don't even know how I'm going to do my opposition research podcast this week because it's like, hey, your team sucks. Tell us about it. Our team's not great. Let me tell you about it, right? Um, But I will do one. That'll come, I think, Thursday is uh, the plan for that. But So stay tuned here in Hawkeye Nation. But Iowa will still win games. They may even win good games. They may even beat good teams. Crazier things have happened. Iowa will still get players. As a matter of fact, they got one. Iowa picked up a commitment from three-star quarterback, four-star on some sites, James Resar over the weekend. He's a Jacksonville quarterback quarterback. He picked the Hawkeyes. He's a dual threat. He's a fast guy with good legs. The type of quarterback that you would have said after Saturday would never come to Iowa again, right? That's, that's just, it's such a, an easy kind of piece of rhetoric to go to. Well, how are you going to recruit to this offense? How are you going to, you know, Iowa's never going to get another great. Whatever again, right? quarterback, wide receiver, running back, offensive lineman, whatever that is. At this point, you start to worry about the defense because how many guys want to come, pitch a near shutout, and lose? How many guys want to carry the water for an entire offense for an entire season? But that's just not realistic. Guys will come to Iowa. You can say no quarterback would ever come to Iowa. I guarantee Georgia Southern's quarterback would rather be playing in the Big Ten. He just put up 600 yards on the black shirts of Nebraska. There are players out there. Do they work in this system? No. The system needs to change. What does this dual threat quarterback James Resar from Florida know that we don't know? What was he told this weekend that we have yet to be told? Other than his high school teammate Mike Mislansky is on the team. What does he know that we don't know? Why did he come ...to Iowa. So, Iowa will still get players. They can still go into a transfer portal and get players. They'll still win games. It still doesn't feel like that... that, Does that make you feel any better? Because it does really make me feel any better. But that is the kind of sky-isn't-falling part of this. It's not all gone. But if you continue down this road... It may be. and maybe that's what some of you want, and maybe that's what needs to happen. I'm not there yet, but I'm willing to entertain the conversation. I saw this over social media several times over the weekend. The hard reality is the only way for drastic change to be made is going to be losing games. Because if Iowa had won against Iowa State 7-3 to like it looked like they were going to for a big portion of that game, or if they had made that field goal at the end of the game and won in overtime, you can bet your ass that Kirk Ferentz would be happy with it. He'd be happy with Spencer Petras and what he did. He didn't lose us the game. He'd be happy with what the offense did. It did enough to win the game. Losing games is the only way to force change. And how do we know that? Because we've seen two and a half decades of it. Now, what is that change? We'll see if losing the Iowa State game is enough to force change at the starting quarterback. We'll see if having a terrible season, which is certainly a possibility now, uh, is enough to force a change at the offensive coordinator. But I think that's going to take a really bad season, right? Like If Iowa finds a way to go 8-4 and this season, they're not firing Brian Ferentz. Now, I don't think Brian Ferentz will ever be fired for the record. I think when and if that happens, uh, it will be positioned that he got another job. Right, He is leaving the program. The program is not leaving him. And I think that's probably what needs to happen at this point, again, barring some major shift, barring an announcement soon that Alex Padilla or Joey Labus is the, the next starting quarterback and then a drastic uptick in offensive production over the next 10 games. Short of that... I hope Brian Ferentz does well in his next job. It should not be here at Iowa next season. And so the only way to force that change is to lose games. I said last week I thought that if Iowa was losing to South Dakota State, they may have put in Alex Padilla. I feel a little foolish because I don't know that that would have happened. We saw Iowa losing to Iowa State, not make that change. But it was also bad weather. There were weird circumstances. So, again, I'm willing to give—Kirk has earned the benefit of the doubt. He has. Whether you like him or not, he has earned the benefit of the doubt. And so I'm willing to give that to him. But, man, it's falling apart quickly. Here's some ugly stats. This is, this is called no fun with stats. I'm having no fun with these stats. These are from Chad Leicester, the Des Moines Register. In the past 365 days, uh, for those of you who aren't aware— That's a year. Iowa has been held under 200 yards of offense four times. Four times. Twice this season in two tries. Yikes. Iowa has scored five offensive touchdowns in its last six games. Six games, five offensive touchdowns. Yikes. Yikes. Also from Chad Leistico, Iowa has had zero red zone touchdown passes in its last 10 games. And if you're a subscriber to the Doyne Register, I highly encourage you to read the article uh, in which Chad listed these stats. Because he goes into uh, the Nate Stanley stats in the red zone. And, ho oh boy, is that night and day. 10 games, zero red zone, touchdown passes. Iowa's offensive stats are the worst in football by a big margin. Let's just look this up. Iowa has 316 total yards of offense. That's 150 fewer than Colorado State, who has the second fewest yards. 100 That's a whole game for Iowa more For Colorado State. That's a whole Iowa game more than us. 158 yards per game. Dead last in college football. New Mexico State. The Mighty Aggies. 230 yards per game. They've played three games. So they have almost 700 yards of offense. But that's 70 yards more per game than Iowa. And they're the second worst team in the country. The second worst team is again like a whole 50% better than your Iowa Hawkeyes. It's awful. Passing stats. I was the fifth worst team in the country when it comes to yards per game at 100.5 yards per game, 100.5 yards per game passing. UMass is the worst. They have 11 completions on the season. Air Force has 11 attempts on the season, and they have 60% of Iowa's yardage per game. Iowa, fifth worst in the country, passing stats, passing yards per game. How about rushing? Hey, that's where Iowa makes its hay, right? That's where Iowa's big behemoth offensive line, the... uh, the developmental program that Iowa is, that, that's, where, that's where it all goes. 57.5 yards per game for Iowa. That is fifth worst in the country. Fifth worst in the country. How about first downs? Maybe they're not getting a lot of yards, but maybe those yards are important. No, they're not. 21 first downs for the Iowa Hawkeyes. Old Dominion is the second worst team in the country with 25. The aforementioned UMass Minutemen, 27. Iowa is the worst team in the country. 21 first downs. 21 first downs. They played two full games. Florida Atlantic has 83. Nebraska, how about this? Nebraska has 82 first downs. Four times as many as Iowa. Now they've played an extra game, but they also fired their coach. And I don't say that because I think Kirk Ferentz should be fired. I think I've made that clear. How about Spencer Petris? And I feel bad even doing this because it's not his fault. He's a good kid. Seems like a good dude. Good leader. Great locker room guy. And good character guy. I mean, he's the first guy out of the locker room, no matter how bad he plays. He's got the third worst rating in college football, according to ESPN. 23 of 51, 45% completion percentage, 201 yards, an average of less than four yards per completion. Woof, A long of 27, no touchdowns, two picks. He's been sacked three times. Spencer Petras' game log is ugly. Obviously, obviously, this season, he has yet to throw a touchdown. And he has two interceptions. But let's go back. How far are we going back? Way back. Let's go to the Kentucky Bowl game. One touchdown, three picks. So there's one touchdown, five interceptions in three games. He had zero of each in the Michigan game, the Big Ten Championship. He had zero of each in the Nebraska game where he came in and helped lead Iowa to a a nice win after Alex Padilla looked real bad. He had zero of each in the Northwestern game where he got injured early. He had zero of each in the Wisconsin game where Iowa looked terrible. He had zero touchdowns and four interceptions against Purdue. The Penn State game, man, the game. The game. The pass to Reganey. It's hard to believe that less than a year ago we were there. We're a top five team beating another top five team. It's hard to believe. So he has four, seven, nine, nine interceptions and one touchdown since that Penn State game. It's just not good. It's it's, It's not just not good. That's the wrong way to say it. It's not just not good. It's horrendous. It's terrible. It's terrible, and would Alex Padilla be better? I don't know, but it's time to find out. So now you got Nevada, a team that just got smoked by Incarnate Word. that gave up 600-some yards of offense and 55 points, and you don't feel good about your offense against them, do you? Because I don't. I don't. Maybe if Gavin Williams comes back, maybe if the offensive line is just outsized Uh, outsizes Nevada that maybe the running game can really get something going. Maybe Petrus will hit a bunch of 10-yard outs, screen passes, or whoever the quarterback is. Maybe they'll find a way. But right now, through two games, Iowa has one touchdown drive, and that drive was 16 yards. Two plays, 16 yards after a blocked punt. Iowa blocked two punts, forced three turnovers, and scored seven points. Do you think Iowa... Is going to look great against Nevada, because I don't. You think Iowa's going to double its output offensively from the season against Nevada? They have just over 300 yards of offense in two games. Can they get to 300 against Nevada? Eh, probably not. They have 14 points. Can they get to 28? Eh, probably not. You just don't feel good about it. I hope we hear tomorrow that a change is being made. We did get a time for the Rutgers game, the Big Ten opener. That's at Rutgers in Piscataway, New Jersey. That is a 6 o'clock game here in Iowa, 6 o'clock Central on FS1. It'll be under the lights. It'll be the second game in a row. The Iowa Hawkeyes are playing under the lights. That feels good. That'll be fun. It's going to be another late night. I hope it's better than what we witnessed over the weekend. And then quickly on, on Scott Frost being fired again, you know I kind of talked about having a little bit of, not envy for Nebraska, but just their understanding and Trev Albert's understanding that, hey, this season isn't over unless we let it be over. Let's go. A change has to be made. Let's make it now. We'll see. We'll see if that happens. I will tell you, I don't feel as good about Black Friday as I did on Saturday or Sunday morning when I woke up, the first thing that went through my head when I saw that Scott Frost was fired, the first thing was, ha-ha. The second thing was, oh, what if they're good? What if they're better? What if the mental weakness, the proclivity for mistakes and turnovers, what if that was all Scott Frost? And what if the talent on this team, which we know there is, what if that can now come through? What if their interim head coach provides some toughness? Provides some direction? What if by Black Friday, they're a decent football team? And what if we're not? That worries me. Because I don't care if Nebraska wins the next eight games. If they had Scott Frost on Black Friday, i like our chances. Because Scott Frost loses the types of games that Iowa plays. Every time. Every time. It's wild that Scott Frost is going to go down as the worst head coach in the history of Nebraska football. It's crazy. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens there. I'll be paying a lot of attention to what happens there, to what happens at Northwestern after that loss to Duke, to what happens in Wisconsin after their loss and being knocked out of the top 25, to what happens to Illinois after their loss to Indiana, I'll be paying attention to all of that and what and what Minnesota looks like when they finally get a challenge. Which I don't know when that is. I haven't looked at their schedule, but uh, when Minnesota finally gets a challenge, are they actually good? Is this a team that, um, you know, PJ Fleck? And see, they're not going to get a challenge. They play. They host Colorado Saturday. Uh, a team that has almost as bad of an offense as Iowa. Then they're at Michigan State, so there it is. Saturday, September 24th, there's the challenge. Let's find out. The season isn't over, guys. It really isn't. It feels like it in some ways. It's not. The defense is too good to throw the hat in on the season right now, to throw the towel in right now. The defense is too good. Tory Taylor is too good. Getting Keegan Johnson and Nico Regani back should help. Those guys are too good. Sam Laporta is too good to let this season just go down the drain. If you want that because you want to change an offensive coordinator and or head coach, I totally understand that. I get it. I get not rooting for your team as hard. But it's not over. This can still be salvaged. They've lost one game. It looks bleak. And I'm not going to sit here and say that things are going to get markedly different offensively uh, you know, in the next 10 games. That they're going to all of a sudden be great. They will not be great this year at offense. They will not. But if they're better, they can be good. Not great, but they can be good as a team if they are better on offense. And I think that can happen, but it has to happen now. You have to give Alex Padilla the keys to this car, let him drive into the Nevada game, get some confidence get some love from the fans, have 70,000 people cheering him, not booing him, and that's not on you. If you were there booing, that's not on you. I get it. I, I get it. But instill some confidence in that young man, and then go to Rutgers and get a win, and come home and you got Michigan, and away we go. You, you come home healthy and, and you play Michigan with a different quarterback, and that defense – and hopefully, you know, some more confidence in your kicking game. Who knows? Who knows? But if you don't, if you, if you let Spencer Petrus do this, if you let Brian Ferentz do this, and I'm talking to you, Kirk. I know you're not listening, but I'm talking to you. If you allow this to happen, it's going to come crumbling down. And then we start talking about Legacy. And Kirk Ferentz's legacy is mostly secured. He will have a statue. He will probably have a street named after him, right? And deservedly so. But what's the one thing on Hayden Fry's legacy, other than maybe the Rose Bowls, what's the one thing? It's it's the the way it ended. You don't want to leave the covered bare. You don't want things to go down quickly and then get out. This can be salvaged. But if you let Spencer Petras go out there against Nevada... Win or lose, it's not going to be good. Make the change, man. Make the change. Um, That's it. That's what I got. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope I made you feel a little bit better. I hope I didn't make you feel terribly worse. I will be talking to somebody who covers Nevada. I don't know exactly who yet. Uh, It turns out they're so bad that... (laughs) they don't even want to be covered. Uh, But I will will get with somebody on that. We will have the Hawkeye Nation Radio Show on KXNO here in Des Moines and on your podcast feeds on Thursday night. That's 7 to 8 o'clock here in Des Moines on KXNO or on iHeartRadio app, wherever you are. Just type in KXNO or it will be here in your podcast feeds. I will have an instant reaction. It may not be until Sunday that I have an instant reaction this week. I've got uh, some plans on Saturday evening that may or may not impact my ability to do a post-game podcast. Um, Hopefully it's not a game that needs an instant reaction. Hopefully it's a game where if you have to wait 12 hours to hear a podcast about it, it's not that big of a deal because Iowa has run Nevada out of Kinnick Stadium. I don't feel super confident in that, but I'm hoping. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed listening to this. I appreciate you listening, and go Hawks!